a quick hello and we're good to go. Welcome to the show, Lorena Ball. I, I have not been serenaded recently, so thank you, Jason. Wonderful. I love singing that little song at the start. I very rarely forget, but sometimes I do. I forgot a couple of weeks ago. But today I was coached by Marianne to not forget it. So I'm right on, on the ball, as it were. And apologies for the pun on your name. Um, today we're going to be talking about content-based SEO, a smarter way to build your brand. Now, I'm obsessed with brand and people mm -hmm. searching for a brand. And you're obviously obsessed by your personal brand or personal branding and branding mm -hmm. and also using content to SEO your brand. Is that about mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. Because um, I don't know how to break it to you, but most people are not waking up in the morning looking for you. They're looking for an answer to their question. And that's right. where content Sometimes, comes in. Right. And where, yeah, that's when you are the answer to their question. And that's when the content comes in and you need to brand that content. You need to make sure people are finding mm -hmm. the content and then recognize you and then come looking for you the next day. Is that about mm -hmm. right? That's kind of how it works. Brilliant. That's the, the the summary before we've even started the episode. I think we're very much on the same page. Mm -hmm. Now, before we get going, I always start with brand SERPs, uh, what appears when somebody Googles your name. Mm -hmm. And I picked your brand SERP, and I really wanted to explain to everybody watching this show, on the right-hand side on Google, we can consider that to be facts that Google has understood. And as we can see here, it's blank. <laughs> it hasn't understood anything about you that it's confident enough to show to its users. So there you would hope to have a knowledge panel for a person or mm -hmm. for a company. So that's the fact, and I love that part because it's indirect influence in Google's understanding of the brand, mm -hmm. or personal brand in this case. And on the left-hand side, we can consider that it's resources Google recommends to your audience. So that's when people actually know who you are. They search your name, Google says, well, this is the kind of content we think you'll be interested around this person or this company. Uh, what do you think of yours? So um, I like that um, you've got the, you, I'm looking there. Yeah, see, I have three websites and they are all associated mm -hmm. with my name. And so I'm actually kind of glad that all three of them show up because different people are going to look for me for different reasons. Um, and, you know, I have uh, the LorraineBall.com. Those are just photographs. I, I'm an amateur and a very happy amateur photographer. And so <laughs> I like that that shows up. I like that my podcast shows up and the online training. I uh, And so I'm not surprised that Google is a little confused because I am a bit of a Renaissance woman. But hopefully some of my other content will help people figure out, oh, she's what we want. Right. That, that's really great. Yeah. And as you say, you don't need to have all your professional content there. You can also have a private life and that could be mm -hmm. part of your branding. I was also very intrigued by your Twitter boxes down at the bottom. You've got Twitter boxes. Mm -hmm. And generally speaking, people don't get Twitter boxes unless they tweet original tweets. And all you've ever done, apparently, is retweet. So you have. Oh, am well I wrong? No, well, yes and no. Um, oh, right. I used to be a lot more active on Twitter um, back in right. the day. I mean, I, I've been on Twitter, I think, since 2008, perhaps. Right. And so it was all original content. And um, <sighs> Twitter is not as much fun as it used to be. And it's no. also, it's not really where my customers hang out. And worse, it stopped being where my friends hung out. So um, 
so I, I still do go on Twitter. I do post original content. I do a lot of retweeting as a way of sharing the love and staying in touch. And that seems to be what Google has picked up. Yeah, no, exactly. In that case, you've corrected me. And that's a good lesson for me to learn is that back in the day, you tweeted original tweets, which got you the Twitter boxes. And once you've got them, Google tends to keep them, even if you just retweet. And what I did like here is that the Twitter boxes would normally have text and images, but it's actually just got a URL here. Um, <laughs> and I've never seen that before. So that, that intrigued me rather than wanting to be critical of it. It was mm -hmm. intriguing. How did that happen? Now I know. So you've taught mm -hmm. me something. Anybody who wants to learn more about BrandSept's knowledge panels, join the CaliCube knowledge panel and BrandSept support group on Facebook. Search for Telecube Knowledge Panel and Brand Support uh, Brand Surf Support Group on Google to find us. Um, I I really enjoyed learning about Twitter from you there, <laughs> and I agree with you. Twitter is much less fun today than it used to be. And somebody said to me the other day, Twitter's actually just a video game where you're trying to accumulate as many followers as you can, and that's the school. What do you think mm. of that as an idea? <sighs> Well, you can buy followers if that's what you want. You, you can short circuit that and you can buy followers. Um, I just, if that's what you're doing, I think it's a waste of time because none of those right. people are really paying attention or interacting right. with you. Um, if you really want to, I think, make Twitter productive, you have to find a community. I do have a couple mm. of tweet chats that I participate in, but you also have to make decisions about which social platforms work best, right. not for your ego. You know, my ego, yeah. I, I want to be big on Twitter because whatever, but my customers are on LinkedIn. So if I have 20 minutes, I'm going to spend it building my brand on LinkedIn and I'm not going to worry about Twitter. That's a really good point. I've learned that very much at my expense is spending so much time on Twitter and it doesn't actually do anything. It's lots of drops in the ocean that just appear to evaporate as soon as you put mm -hmm. them in there. And LinkedIn seems to have much more of a kind of fundamental effect on my business. So I, I'm now not Twitter at all, whereas I used to be because it was fun mm -hmm. and now it's less fun, as you said. Before we get going with the content-based SEO, a smarter way to build your brand on CaliCube Tuesdays here and further on the podcast, Branded Search and Beyond with Jason Barnard, which will be out in a few days' time. A quick message from our partners. Our partner is Wordlift, who are an amazing company in Rome, Italy, and they build artificial intelligence that you need to grow your traffic. Amazing company. And from our perspective at CaliCube, we offer services to get your knowledge panel. If you want a knowledge panel on that right-hand side, the facts for Google, we have a done-for-you service, which is run by the delightful Alisa, you can see there, and her CaliCube Pro team. You are listening to Branded Search and Beyond with Jason Barnard. Now, back to the show. Now, after all that advertising, let's get back to the topic. You talk about brand and building brand. And most people say, well, I'm going to build my brand on social media, on mm -hmm. different platforms. Why are you using SEO? So unless you are um, a huge celebrity, you know, we're going to say Shakira or, I don't know, Jennifer Lopez, 
most people are not really looking for you. They, and, and I said it earlier, they're looking for solutions to their problems. And so when you want to build your brand and you want to establish who you are in the mind of potential customers, you have to do it by associating your brand with a particular product, service, benefit with what you do. And the more you can demonstrate what you do and that you do it well, and the more you draw that connection to you, the, um, the stronger your brand becomes. Right. Yeah. The, a guy I was talking to yesterday, a friend of mine, Kore Gabur, talks about topical authority. He's an incredible geek, incredibly, mm-hmm. incredibly intelligent. He says it very geekily, what you just said incredibly simply, which is mm-hmm. talk around your topic, demonstrate yourself to be an authority and an expert around your brand, niche down, and then Google will present you as the solution to its users' problems when they're searching for a solution that you actually have. Is that about right? That's absolutely right. And so what you need to do is you need to think about as what are the questions that mm. people have when they want to work with you? Because I'm assuming you're not just building your brand to feel good, that that you know, you're a, a consultant or a coach or you're running a business. And at the end of the day, the brand is not the end game. It is the middle mm. that allows you to Lovely. ultimately attract customers and sell something. I mean, you know, I don't know about Ooh. you, but I like to eat and I can't eat if I don't yeah. get sell something. So the, the the beginning game is answering the questions, getting people to see you. The middle game is getting them to recognize and search for your brand. And the end game is to sell to them. Yeah, that's it. it's kind of like that. That's how it works. So brilliant. what SEO and what content-based SEO does, not, not the SEO where you're sort of gaming the system with weird mm-hmm. links and, and stuffing keywords, when you create content, on your website that answers specific questions and does it in a way that is in-depth, authoritative, interesting, Google will find you. They will drive traffic to you. And then the next step, you've got to have a website that will then convert the prospects, et cetera, et cetera. But to begin with, and I think this is where a lot of businesses mess up, is they don't think about different types of questions that people have Mm. at different points in their sales process. And they don't build a really long list of questions. And the funniest thing is they don't bother to find out whether their website actually answers them. Um, That that is very true. I find mm -hmm. that when you search around your brand, there's already lots and lots of questions that people ask about your brand that you haven't Mm -hmm. answered. And that's the absolute minimum is to answer questions about yourself. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. somebody else will answer them and probably Mm -hmm. wrongly. Probably wrongly. Absolutely. And so you want to get all the facts right. But um, just uh, my favorite example, I was working with a flooring company and locally owned and they had really built a Mm -hmm. nice brand around being locally owned in the family. And that was great. But the bottom line was when somebody had a question, very basic, what's the best floor to put in my kitchen? Mm. I went to their website and I typed in that question and I couldn't find the answer. 
And so everything that they had done to build this wonderful brand and this great persona, when the rubber met the road and somebody was ready to buy, they couldn't find their answer and they lost the sale and and would never have had the chance because Google, when somebody typed in that question, Google wouldn't send them to their website. Right. And how would you advise a company like that to strategize which questions to answer first? Because once you start looking for questions, you find lots of them and then it never stops. It's this rabbit hole that you go down. So A, how do you strategize it? How do you prioritize? How do you know which ones are important? So, oh my God. Uh, All right. Um, First off, (laughs) I would, the very first place I would go is to your inbox. If you have customer service Mm. people, if you have a call center, and the first thing I would do is have them start making lists of all the questions they get asked every day. Ask your salespeople. I, I, I mean, go to your inbox and look at the emails that you got and the responses that you sent. That's, that's your first wave. The second thing that you can do is, and I, I call it... So, answer- sorry, can I just oh. tell you which question I see most in my inbox? Yes. Do you want to buy some links? Or <laughs> do you want to make a million dollars tomorrow? So those aren't the questions I should no, be looking at, though. No, no. I, I, I'm saying look for the questions from legitimate customers. Right. Okay. Okay. So. Yeah, okay. Let's narrow that down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Okay, so then go to Google and the answer or the questions are hiding in plain sight. Mm. Start to type in your question and let Google autofill. Let Google anticipate what you're asking and see what pops up because what pops up will be the questions that Google has been asked the most. And then Mm. down below, there'll be like five or six questions And if you click on it, it opens up. There's more and more and more. And so build a really long list. How do you know which ones are good? They're all good. And the trick with content-based SEO is you can't answer just five or six questions and done. Because SEO is a horse race. And and I, I don't know if you've ever seen it at carnivals. There's a game where you have a water gun. Mm. And you shoot the water gun and the horse moves forward. And then somebody else shoots a little harder and their horse jumps forward. That's how SEO works. So you do something and you improve your rankings. Well, guess what? Your competitors are not sitting around twiddling their thumbs. They're doing the same thing. And so. And and what's. Sorry. No, I was going to no, say. No, I, I love the, the, the horse game analogy because I remember playing that and you get really frustrated because you're just ahead and then somebody else does something. That's not fair. That's not fair. And then you throw your gun at the game because <laughs> you're so frustrated. And that's SEO is people get really frustrated like children. I mean, I, this is what I did when I was a child mm-hmm. because they feel they're making all the effort, but they see their competitor getting forwards without seemingly making the same mm-hmm. effort. It becomes a very frustrating game. How do you deal with that frustration? So I, I don't want to say I don't look at my competitors, but mm. how oh, I eva- well how I evaluate my SEO is I look at what percentage of my traffic is organic, is mm-hmm. that going up or down? Don't care about everybody else. Am I getting mm. more organic traffic as a result of what I'm doing? Are the new pieces of content that I'm putting on my website? attracting people. 
when I when I bring them in and I put a conversion form on my website, are people reading the content and then scheduling an appointment, downloading a workbook, watching a video? Are they mm. are they moving engaging. through my sale? Are they engaging? Are they moving through my sales funnel? And um, to me, that is the most important. Um, evaluation of is your SEO working? Um, you can obsess about, I'm not number one for this keyword. Who cares? <laughs> you, you know? Yeah. Um, are, yeah. And, and so I, I think it's a matter of getting your head around what's really important. Yeah. I mean, the blinkers idea is obviously extreme, but it really is focus on what you're doing. Don't look too much left and right at what your competitors are doing. Obviously, keep an eye on them, but don't obsess about it. And mm -mm. I mean, another question is, how do you prevent yourself from being tempted to say, well, that question has got huge search volume. I'll go and answer that even though it's not very relevant. Um, well, so one of the things that I would say uh, is Google in their last um, algorithm update actually wants you to be more focused. And so hmm. when you start, when, when you start spending a lot of time on adjacent content or unrelated content on a particular website, you confuse Google. That is never a good thing. Google, right. okay. Even though with all this AI stuff, we want to think that maybe Google is becoming a sentient being, it's not. It, it, it isn't. It's <laughs> algorithm driven. It is um, fact based. And so when you present too many unrelated facts, you know, think of those old episodes on Star Trek. Does not compute. Does not compute. Oh, right. Yeah. And, Brilliant. And that and that's what you're doing when you kind of go off on, well, but this is a this gets a lot of search volume. Great. It gets a lot of search volume. If it's not related to you, what good is it? Right. Yeah. And so um, what you need to do is bear in mind, does not compute, does not compute. And that's going to be stuck in my head every time I get tempted to do answer questions that aren't very relevant. Good. The thing about branding is, is it all about me? I kind of think like branding, I just talk about me all the time. And you've just been talking about answering questions that are helpful to my audience. So mm -hmm. it is very topically centric, but it's not mm -hmm. about me or is it? I don't know. Uh, you know what? I am... Um... I'm an old school marketer and I started learning about branding from, you know, from the real OGs like Reason Trout who presented this idea that what you do with your brand is that you position your brand in the mind of the customer, but that you yeah. ultimately do not own your brand. Your customer does. And you can influence, you can help move them to a conclusion. But at the end of the day, your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. Ooh, which is delightful. I love that as well, because we say your brand isn't what it, you say it is, it's what Google says it is. Yeah. And it's exactly the same thing. You need to influence Google in order for it to present you to your mm -hmm. audience in the way that you intended but mm -hmm. once again, it's simply representing you to your audience. And it's part of that parcel of saying to your audience, this is who I am. But ultimately, you're saying they own it. They own it. You don't. You you don't. Um, and I, you know, um, I love uh, examples of this. Federal Express, for years, they fought against people calling them FedEx. 
they 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 ran commercials. Tell they they spent money to tell people their name wasn't FedEx. Do you know what they're called today? FedEx. Because that's what people wanted. That's what their and customers even, even wanted. Even their logo. So they ended up completely switching and saying, we, we need to accept it because we're not going to change it. But I have to say, the people were right. Fed mm-hmm. Federal Express is very boring to say. FedEx <laughs> is cool. Yeah, but it, it, it was their customers who, the mm. people who used their product, who interacted with them, who said, yeah, you don't have this right. This is who you are. And no amount of no amount of effort is going to change what your customers think unless you really shift. And sometimes you gotta go, you know, that's who they think I am. Okay. Oh, well, that makes me think maybe in 10 years, my company is not gonna be called CaliCube anymore. It will be called KCube. It could be. <laughs> And, I mean, and, and that's that's another point is is from CaliCube's point of view. I've always kind of shied away from online reputation management. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people come and say, well, actually, what CaliCube Pro does, what your service does is reputation, whether it's pro- proactive or reactive mm-hmm. reputation management. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I, I'm beginning to accept that I have to talk mm-hmm. about that. And it's because I'm being forced to, but they're right. It is reputation management. Proactive or reactive? I mean, at the end of the day, if it was a service that you felt really didn't have value and you didn't want to provide it, you wouldn't. But as the marketplace keeps telling you, you know, you've got this expertise and this expertise can be used in this way and we trust you to do it. And that's, I think, more than anything else, that's what your brand is about. It It is creating something that a prospective customer will trust that you can deliver what you say you will. Right. Yeah, I keep reading everywhere. Now I'm reading business books and sales books. It's knows, trusts, and likes. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, And huge on the trust because right. it, it um, you know, there are a lot of people I like. I, a lot of people I love that I will not trust to do certain things. And it's, right. you, you know, it, like is not enough. Right. But then they can't trust you if they don't know you. And they no. probably will like you if they trust you. But they probably, they might not like you if they don't trust you or something mm-hmm. along those lines. Yeah, so yeah. I, I mean. It, I, I, think, I think it's a three-legged pony that can't not have one of its legs. No, that's not right. A three-legged stool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whole thing falls. It, it's got, you've got to cover all of them. You've got to, um <sighs> To me, I mean, I have I've had bosses that I didn't like, mm-hmm. but that I trusted. Um, but oh, right. you know, they you know they they I I've worked with companies that it was a very professional relationship. I didn't want to go out to drinks with them afterwards. Um, but if I trusted that they were going to do what they said they were going to do, that was okay with me. They weren't my favorites. You know, the the favorites right. okay. of the three legged stool. <laughs> yeah, so for you, trust is the absolute pinnacle. I mean, mm-hmm. in fact, Google, when they talk about uh, expertise, experience, authority, and trustworthiness, mm-hmm. they're saying the expertise, the experience, and authority are actually part of building the trust. Mm-hmm. And then you add some more for trust. But the focal point for them is trust. Yeah, you've got to deliver, whether it's to Google 
or to a human being. And that's, uh, you know, kind of going back to some of the things we were talking about earlier. You establish your reputation as a an accountant and Google trusts that you're going to provide reliable accounting information. And suddenly you start offering cooking lessons and I'm confused. And you don't trust. I mean, and that is the thing with the niche. If you suddenly say, well, I can cook as well, Google gets confused, but your audience will as well. Mm -hmm. That idea of multifacetedness is a, is a huge problem for people, in particular with Google and indeed with their audience. Mm -hmm. And I think we underestimate that. I'm a musician. I'm mm -hmm. also an author and a digital marketer, and I'm a cartoon maker. And when I say that, people get confused, let alone Google. And mm -hmm. you have to say, well, I'm principally this one thing, and mm -hmm. the rest of it, is maybe not secondary, but certainly not the most important thing that I'm presenting. If I present four things at once, you're never going to understand. No. And that, I mean, that, that's why ultimately I have three different websites because they speak right. to three different. Um, and actually I used to have um, a digital agency, which I sold a few years ago. So I actually had four different websites and right. There's cross-linking between them, and I allude to, you know, yes, I also do this or do that, but I did not want to muddy any one of those trying to tell all of those stories. Right, and that's a really good point. I think kind of separating it out so that you don't muddy the water when people mm -hmm. come to a website or indeed Google comes to the website, that it's very clear what that website deals with. Um, and people will tend to shy away from making multiple websites because of the cost, because of the effort. And also because they don't really feel that things should be separated into those silos. But entities, I mean, we, we've done that at CaliCube. We've created a website for each entity that we run. CaliCube mm -hmm. Tuesdays, the podcast, mm -hmm. myself, the company, and the platform. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot to deal with. You know, it is. Um, and I'm going to go off and do something very entrepreneurial for a moment here. Um, Brilliant. When I sold the agency, I sold the agency, but I wanted to keep the podcast. I wanted to mm. keep the online training. And because those websites were already established, I had actually created a separate company. It allowed me to separate those pieces and treat them as separate businesses. And so not only from a marketing perspective, but from a business perspective, as I long-term looked at what did I want to do when I didn't want to do this anymore? Um, Which is incredibly foresightful of you. Um, and now I'm beginning to think about maybe I should do something along those lines. But I think that idea of branding yourself, you actually have multiple brands and mm -hmm. that keeping them separate is a hugely mm -hmm. good idea. Now we're going to come to the last question, which is my favorite part of the show, other than everything that's just come before. <laughs> question one, how can content-based SEO help with branded search? And or question two, how does branded search tie in with content-based SEO? For you, this is relatively simple compared to a lot of the other guests. How do we tie your work into branded search? Well, I think one of the biggest things is to add your name to the content. Um, I started doing this with a lot of my videos um, on YouTube, um, which then linked to my website. Um, in the title, I, I was doing just the title of the episode, and now it's whatever the episode is with Lorraine Ball. And so I am tying the content to me. Um, when I do um, uh, an article, 
I mm-hmm. will, you know, I authored by Lorraine Ball. And so in the meta description, the piece of that article that Google grabs and then shows to somebody who's doing a search for a, for a question, it will say something like Lorraine Ball recommends blah, blah, blah. One tip mm. from Lorraine Ball is blah, blah, blah. And I'm actually having to go back now and kind of edit those meta descriptions. But but if you want to tie who you are to your content, the meta description, the title, that's that's where you do it. Which is absolutely brilliant. Interesting enough, that's something I advise my clients to do, which is answer by company name or answer by mm-hmm. person's name. And I've forgotten to do it on our own website. So <laughs> quick message to Jean-Marie, we need to go back through all of our FAQs, all our questions and answers, and add that branding in, which I'd completely forgotten. So thank you for reminding me about that. And the other nice thing is that Maria, who organizes the podcast, reminded me to keep with Jason Barnard in the title. Genius, Maria. Wonderful, Lorraine Ball. That was absolutely delightful. And now we're going to pass the baton to next week. Next week, it's Fabi Paolini. How to Mm -hmm. attract premium clients into your business. That's going to be hugely interesting. Premium clients is what we're all looking for. More premium clients means more money for less effort getting those clients in. If you could possibly pass the baton, Lorraine. Oops, I'm trying to figure out how to do it. Um, I'm I'm, There we go. I'm handing it over. Everything is in reverse. I'm handing the baton over to Fabi Paolini. I think she's going to bring such great information to your audience. Um, As a brand strategist, how to use that to grow your business. I know it's a show I'm going to tune into. Thank you so much, Lorraine. That was brilliant. Thank you, everyone, for watching. See you next week on Kelly Cube Tuesdays and on the With Jason Barnard Branded Search and Beyond podcast, which I said the wrong way around. That was amazing fun. I'm going to sing the outro song. A quick goodbye to end the show. Thank you, Lorraine. Callie Cube. It's all about your brand, Serp.